0: Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, uh, Passion Translation. Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Uh, those two portions of Scripture. And you can see them on the screen. For it was always in God's perfect plan to adopt us as His delightful children through our union with Jesus so that his tremendous love would glorify his grace. He adopted us so that his tremendous love would glorify his grace. And this unfolding plan brings God great pleasure. Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, reading uh, mostly from the New Living Translation, Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. We are afraid. Why? Because we have heard about the ways that the Lord has helped you. Oh, I love that. The reason why we're afraid is because we have heard, not the way, but the ways that the Lord has helped you. We have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when, when you left Egypt. And we know what God did to Sion and Og, giants, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River whose people you completely destroyed. Verse 11, no wonder after seeing all that God has done through you and for you, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things because the Lord, your God, rules the heavens above and the earth below. I want to talk to you about splendorous grace. Splendorous grace. Could you tell the person next to you, get ready for some splendorous grace? Amen. They may not have believed you, so turn to somebody else and say, get ready for some splendorous grace. The word grace. The technical definition of grace is God's or divine influence, God's influence upon the heart or the attitude and its reflection in the life. So, uh, grace basically is God that something, God has worked something in and God has worked something out. Uh, it's probably the way Paul said it in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you're working out the grace. Then he says, "For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure." So God works something in, and then you work it out. God does the natural, and then you sorry. God does the supernatural, and we do the natural. What's the natural thing we need to do? We need to simply open our hearts so that God can put his desire in our hearts and then he pulls off what he put in our hearts. And and so the reason why we're sharing about this grace is because this is, we have already entered in. We have already entered in into a season of amazing grace. Amazing grace. And we wanted to let you know that, that you all, many of you are experiencing grace and don't even know it. So we 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 said that, that there are three types of grace. Uh, we said that there's the first type of grace is uh, successful grace. We we call it favor. Successful grace is when God gives us favor, and that's found in First Corinthians chapter. Uh, 15 verse 10, where Paul says that I've accomplished more than all the, even though I was the least of the apostles, meaning I didn't even, I was not even part of the original 12. I was the least, but I accomplished more than most of them, or than all of them. And he said, no, it wasn't I, but it was the grace of God in me, just the favor of God. And some of you are walking in tremendous favor, but you need to repent because you've been saying words like I was lucky. Luck is a thing. You weren't lucky. It was the favor of God. Favor, as we said, is simply preferential treatment. God chose you for no other reason. You got into that school for no other reason. You got that home for no other reason. You got that ministry for no other reason. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It was simply God chose you. It's quiet in here because some of you have been taking credit for stuff that God did. There's something in us that always wants to take a little credit from God. And then there's those of you who you not only had what I call successful grace, but last week you've had sustaining grace. Sustaining grace is when God makes me a fighter. Sustaining grace is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. Sustaining grace is when you should have thrown in the towel. You should have quit. You should have tapped out. You should have said, I can't do this anymore. But, but the older saints used to have this song, something down inside of me keeps telling me to go ahead. And you keep, you keep going forward even when everything is screaming, quit, stop, throwing the towel. And what ends up happening many times is the reason why God sustains you is because there's there's a blessing at the end, there's an open door at the end. And sometimes God says, I just need to keep you alive so that you'll receive what I have for you. And so many times what happens is that we we have this strength that allows us to go through years and maybe in decades. Of tremendous trauma and tremendous uh, pressure, and people look at your life and they say, "Man, I don't know how you made it." And I'll tell you how to made it: it was the sustaining grace of God. Sustaining, sus, meaning under, and tenio, which means to hold. So, uh, and many of us we've, we've seen or, or saw that poem or saw the picture of the person who said to God, why did you leave me? No, Jesus, during the terrible, terrible, tough times, you weren't walking with me. And you know the stories, uh, uh, the the Bible, not the Bible, the story goes that there were two sets of footprints and then there was one. And they said, well, why did you leave me? And And God said, no, that's not when I left you. That's when I carried you. How many of you have ever experienced the sustaining grace of God? someone passed away or you lost a job or a relationship that was very important to you, broke up and you were heartbroken. You were like, I don't know how I can go on another day and yet turn your neighbor and say, I'm still here. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, and some of you, not only are you are still here, but you're still here in your right mind. Somebody ought to praise him right now you have gone through stuff that you should have lost your mind and 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 this is even more miraculous <clears throat> some of you not only are you still here not only you're still in your right mind but you still have the joy of the lord you didn't come out bitter you didn't come out hating people you didn't come out that that is that's a, that is the grace of god so, when you see somebody else struggling and somebody else you know, getting a little wobbly and someone else ready to throw in a towel, don't look at them with you know, sideways like you or all that. Because if we saw you in the secret place of your house, you would be in a fetal position saying, I don't even want to go outside. How many of y'all ever felt so depressed that you didn't even want to get out of bed to go to the bathroom? Come on, get their hands up. Get those hands up. That was the sustaining grace of God. You ought to praise God for His favor, and you ought to praise God. The older saints used to call it. I I didn't understand this, but now I do. As you get get older, they used to say, "I thank God for saving me and keeping me." Has anybody ever have a the the keeping power of God kept you in your right mind, kept you with the right attitude, the right attitude, the right attitude? But then there's the splendorous grace of God. Where Paul says to the church of Ephesus that God has done things to the praise and the glory of his grace. He 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 does he's, he saved us as a trophy of his splendorous grace. Uh, and, and, and you need to understand that we serve a God who is, and I know this is a negative connotation, but it's really, he he has to do this to convince us. We serve a God who is a show-off. He's a show-off. And that's why he got so mad at Israel, because he said, I am going to make Pharaoh's heart hard so that he won't let you go. How many of you, if you were pharaoh after the first two plagues, you would have said, you no, know, y'all can go, you, y'all, y'all can go. No, you don't have to send frogs and, and hail, no, just go. You don't have to wreck my economy, just go. And then after that, the dude still was in his right mind, he was like, he chased them, chased them. And I, it was God basically saying, I am going to make Pharaoh's heart hard because I'm going to show off to you what my power is. Mm. Now, you better be careful about how God shows off for you. Mm. Because after God shows off, it's going to become evidence that he may use against you when you start doubting him. Because every time Israel wanted to backslide, he said, they keep forgetting how I brought them out. And there's some of you, you're in a situation where you're whining and complaining like this is the first time you're in a situation and you have history, his story, of how he brought you out. And... I say that to speak to myself. Sometimes I ought ought to be ashamed. I've been saved since I was 10 years old. That's almost 50 years of walking with the Lord. And sometimes I'm ashamed of how I behaved with 50 years, a half a century of God's faithfulness. And yet I act like this is the first time I encountered something different, difficult. Tell your neighbor, say, he's talking about you too. God wants to show off. First Kings chapter uh, 17, 18, and 19. Read that. When God wants the battle of the gods, god's God against Baal. In this corner, Baal with his 450 prophets. In this corner, God with one prophet, Elijah. Read it for yourself. It's actually funny. And see, when you have a God who is bad, you even, you stop bragging about your God. <laughs> Elijah's like, you, you go first. Whoever God, whatever God answers by fire is the God. You go first. And so they took all day, call on their God, nothing happened. And then Elijah, you know, they need, they need to write an urban version of the Bible. Because Elijah's saying stuff like, Well, maybe your God went to the bathroom. Read it in another translation. The King James kind of cleans it up. And then Elijah says, okay, now it's my God's turn. He said, no, 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 no. We're going to make it difficult for our God. Let's pour water on the wood. No, no, no. Pour some more water on the wood. No, pour pour more. I want you to know that when God answers, it ain't luck. So, don't tell your neighbor, this is to tell yourself. Say these words Could it be, Could it be that, God that God is allowing my situation, to, allow my situation to, get so to get so bad that when He delivers me, he delivers, no, one no one gets the credit but Him? Could it be? Could it be? Could it be? Because if He brought you out, you'd be like, oh, you know, I was networking and I talked to this person. So, God just. God didn't slam all your doors. He, he blew up the whole building. Great. Because he wants to pour out his splendorous, spectacular grace. <clears throat> six years ago this month I was on, I I take the month of August off usually and I was in the middle of my month off and I got a call from uh, brother Sean Hope and again from Sister Masato and they, they told me that this building on 56 Magazine Street uh, might be on sale and that this is the last month that the church that's worshiping in this building is going to conduct service and then after it's going to close. So August 2012. So I decided to come and I looked around they were in service they were handed out because the the were, congregation was Korean so um, they were handing out the interpreter uh, headsets thank you sir and I sat and looked and there was been looked nowhere the way it looks now and I looked at it and I was like hmm And, of course, you look outside and there's no parking. And I was like, this, my brain was saying, this can't be God. And then when I found out what they wanted for, $2.3 million, I said, I know this can't be God. Then I came in again and I took, because, you know, they were having service, so I came in again and looked thoroughly, and I was in the basement, like below the fellowship hall, so below, you know, there's people in the lower sanctuary watching now, so there's even space below where you are, and I'm walking around trying to get a sense, God, what do you want us to do? God, what do you want us to do? God, what do you want us to do? And the Lord drops this word in my heart, Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, He says, the future splendor of this temple will be greater than the splendor of the first one. For I have plenty of silver and gold to do it. I have plenty of silver and gold to do it. To do what? To make the glory of this house greater than it was before. And here, I will give my peace. Here, I will give my shalom. So as I'm looking at this building, thinking, God, you're going to make the glory of this house in the century of the 2010s greater than first. And so, when you look at this first image here, uh, pt pt this this building was built in um, 1887. 1887. That's why you don't see any cars and you see dirt roads. And that they're not quite sure when that image was painted, but it was probably about then. This this church was actually brown because uh, there was no white paint back in those days. So it was a glorious church. Um, And then as the church probably grew, they painted it in the next picture. They painted it white. This is how how it kind of looks now. And this church was a powerful church. As a matter of fact, uh, in 1960, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was to preach in Cambridge. And, of course, this wasn't the biggest church in Cambridge, uh, but he was preparing to give a sermon. This is 1960. Uh, and because, of course, of his, his fame, they had to find a church big enough for him to preach in, so the service was held at... Uh, First Baptist Church, right up the street, and and so Dr. King met here with the ministers, went to First Baptist to preach his sermon, and then came back here in the Fellowship Hall where people are seated right now, and he and he had he broke bread with uh, a number of ministers there. Dr. Martin Luther King came to this church. And then I discovered that at at the height of this church's uh, ministry, because it was built, we we, uh, we rearranged things, but this church was built to hold 500 people. Uh, That was probably when people were much smaller, but it was to, to hold 500 people. 500 people. All you have to do is go to an old theater, and you realize that some things have changed. (laughs) 500 people, and and, uh, before World War II, this church grew to 600 active members. Active members, 600. And I was like, wow, God, you're saying you're going to do something even greater than that? And so the next picture uh, the church began to decay and become dilapidated when we finally moved in to this building in February of 2013 just to test it to see if it would even work. There were there were vines from bushes from the outside that was growing into the windows of the church. That beautiful window to my right to your left was boarded up because Hurricane Sandy came and blew that out. And as I'm looking and all my mind is saying $70,000, cha-ching. $110,000, $110,000, cha-ching, 190000 right behind you, cha-ching, uh, new pews that are going to cost about sixty to $70,000, cha-ching, and I'm saying, and God says, I got this, and I'm going to give you favor. And later that I know, years later, we would get a quarter of a million dollars in grants, who, who, who would have thought that God? I think somebody needs to clap at that. Oh. God, and, and and so this church was up. It was when it up, went up for sale. The Lord creates this this trust fund, not this trust. Neighbors in this in this community, they develop the 56 Magazine Street Preservation Trust. And their whole purpose was to keep this church from becoming, the next picture, a condo. Now, just in case you're like, might not believe that that's a condo, it's on Harvard Street, so you can drive on Harvard Street in Cambridge, and you better drive slowly because you might miss it. Um, but that used to be a church and that was the plan to turn this into condos but the Lord said I want the glory of this church in this season to even be greater and so and so God is just starting to show off and he is making this church glorious and, uh, and that's why we want to encourage you to st- to keep giving. Uh, it's amazing what God has done by the grace of God. Other than the mortgage, we have never had to take out a loan for anything. And I, I keep saying this because sometimes pastors look at me, as soon as they say, No, they introduced me. This is Bishop Brian Green. He has two churches in Cambridge. They're like, and I'm like, no, 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 no. It's the glory of God. I give praise to his grace. I was sitting around a table amongst pastors, and they were talking about how the economy had gone down and how they were struggling. And 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 it was going around the table, and I'm saying to myself, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. Instead so they say, hey, Brian, how's your church doing? And I just had to say, it's, it's just the grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God. And I tell you this story because everything that occurs in this church, and in our lives, is because God wants to show off with his splendorous grace. With his splendorous grace. It, it, it's amazing we discovered that, uh, we, that we, we're not allowed to paint this church white again. And the reason why we're not allowed to paint it white is because uh, there was no white when the church was first built. So we have to actually go back to one of the original shades of the color. Now you may say, well, why was it white? In 1969, because it wasn't historical back then. So it was like God said, no, I want, I'm going to make sure that the glory of the latter house is great. So I I don't even want you to change the color. This is my house. And when I get finished with it, The whole world and the whole neighborhood is going to look at what was done and they will say, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done it. The word splendor means brilliance. The word splendor means intelligent. His God's inventive. God is a genius. God, the word splendor means shine. God's like, no, you know, the, the young people use the slang, You know, I don't mean to take any shine off you. God said, no, you ain't going to take any shine off of me. If you don't know what that means, that's a young person. God wants to be magnificent. God, at the end of all this, he wants everybody to say, oh, magnify the Lord with me. I remember when I was watching, I was walking in the basement and just looking at, no, it was, it was one of those basements that if you were a child, you would say, Mommy, Mommy, I'm scared. It's really scary down there. Uh, that's why I don't go down there without Elder Troy. Uh, only <laughs> but, but the Lord said to me, This is my house. I'm paying for my house. And don't you get one cheap thing in my house because it's not your house, it's my house. So every time I'm like, well, you know, we can maybe cut a little corner here. God's like, whose house is this? Who's paying for the house? Yes, sir, you're the boss. And I believe God wants to do something in your lives that is so spectacular that you'll be able to tell not simply your story, but his story demonstrated through your life, And that's why you have to have faith because many of you are trying to stick your hands in God's business. God wants you to live in this city and you're looking at your budget and you say, I can't do that. And God says, keep your mouth out of my business. Mm. I'm, I'm purposely letting that settle because some of you are too smart for your own good. God never makes sense. God sends out, this is my final point, and then we'll pray. God sends out, they cross over to Jordan. Joshua is a military genius. He sends out two spies to spy out the land for 40 days to just see, okay, where is Jericho's weak point? Where can we get in? How How they did some reconnaissance. As they're in Jericho, they they are hidden by a prostitute named Rahab. Now, how they ended up there, that may be a question I'll ask in heaven. (laughs) Rahab, for some reason, She is a prostitute, she is used to being abused, she is used to being mistreated. As a matter of fact, the name Rahab literally means violence or violated. The name Rahab in Hebrew means the one who the storm is against. So all of her life, nothing has gone well. All of her life, The wind has been against her. And these two Hebrews show up who are going to destroy her city, who are going to wreck life as she knows it, which was not much. Somehow, she heard before they arrived about their God and decided, rather than turn them in, I'm going to hide them. She hides them in the roof. Of course, the authorities come and they say, you know, where are these? We know there's some Hebrews who are spying out the land. We, know, we, we heard they're here, and you know, she redirected them, and et cetera. But then she goes up into the roof, and this is the text, and she says, we heard about your God. And then she says, when you go back to your camp and when you come back to destroy this city, because if you did, if your God did what he did to the most powerful nation in the world, what will he do with this city? Promise me, promise me that when you come to destroy this city, you would spare my family. Are you with me so far? And they said, We promise you, but everybody has to be in your house. And we want you to leave this red cord, which signifies the blood. And when we see that red cord, we have instructed, we'll instruct everybody. Are you hearing me so far? Are you hearing me? We're going to strike everybody. All the warriors do not touch anybody who is in the house with the red cord. Are you with me? They go back to Joshua, and they say to Joshua, "Hey Joshua, you know the people are fearful. We we got this. We got this. Are you with me?" Then the Lord says to Joshua scrap your plan What do you want us to do? I want you to walk, you know the story, if you don't know, read uh Joshua chapter 6. March around the wall one time each day for six for 6 days in a row, then on the seventh day march around seven times. The first 13th, the first 12 times, keep your mouth shut. Oh, God is so wise. Because if, if, if some of you were, all, were marching around the wall, you'd be like, what, 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 is, what, kind of, what kind of battle plan is this? You know, we just march around, and then we, what, what, what is this all about? That's why God has to keep some of your mouths quiet. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm looking at the wall here. And could you imagine if you were one of the spies who risked your life, you have family, and you come back after 40 days and you say, they're afraid of us, but we got out. Thank God for this prostitute who who rescued us. Of course, the white would have said, what? (laughs) (laughs) and then you you risk your life and after risking your life Joshua says hey guys appreciate what you did uh, but none of the information you got for us is going to be used wait a minute you sent me out for 40 days I almost got killed and all we're going to do is march around a wall. So God says, well, how about this? How am with the splendorous grace of God. If I told you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jericho, risk your life. Um, and uh, the only reason I want you to go there, because I'm not even going to use the information you give. I, I just want you to go there to rescue a prostitute. How would that go over for you? how would that go over with your wife? See, that's why God sometimes can't tell you stuff. No, you, no. Yeah. Turn your name and say, that's why God can't tell you some stuff. Because your mind would be like, your mind would be what? You'd be like, that ain't God. I know your wife would say, that ain't God. Because God says, I'm going to show you my splendor. I got plans for this prostitute. Because I'm going to take this prostitute and she's going to marry somebody from the tribe of Judah. And then thousands of years later, she's going to show up in the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. And I'm going to break my rules. Because when you talk about lineage, you never mention woman. But I'm going to mention in my lineage of Jesus Christ, four women and one of them is a prostitute. Because I'm going to show my splendorous grace. I'm going to show you what I can do with anybody and anything. And then... To really show off, oh, this is bad, actually. I'm, I'm finished here. To really show off, as many of us know in sports, yesterday was the induction of eight people into the Football Hall of Fame. And God basically said, I have a Hebrew Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm gonna show you how splendorous my grace is. I'm not going to put Caleb's name in there. I'm not going to put Joshua's name in there. I'm going to put a prostitute's name by the name of Rahab because I choose to bless whoever I want to bless for my glory. So what's your story? What's God doing in your life right now that he's saying, man, if you just, girl, if you just hanging in there just a little while longer, you're going to be in my hall of faith. I'm going to point to you and say, man, if you saw her life, his life before I got a hold of it. And the Lord wants to hold us up as trophies to say to the devil, how you like it now? How you like it now?